What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibson. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling you stories and hopefully sharing some tips for the athletic communications professionals out there. This is episode number 47, I believe. Yeah, number 47. Uh, and it's also kind of towards the end of our uh, one-year anniversary 7-7 seven and seven campaign. That means seven episodes in seven days. For those of you who uh, haven't been paying attention or two, just kind of noticed that we literally had an episode each and every single day that we've been around this week. So uh, that being said, next week I'm taking the week off, and then we'll pick up right back where we left off the following week. Uh, I believe that date is, let me check my calendar, the the 26th. That should be the uh, the time that we come back for some regular good old-fashioned SID cast work. So, um, again, you can always follow us anytime. If you want to be a part and join late on this contest that we have, it's uh, at SportsInfoCast on Twitter, and you will need to follow us on Twitter for that. I'm not hosting the uh, the, the contest on Facebook. I um, wouldn't know how that format would work just yet. But um, if you do, you try and you win, maybe the next couple of days, a uh, free SIDcast t-shirt and your size choosing will be coming your way. So uh, that's something to look forward to. And as always, you can email me anytime, sportsinfocast at gmail.com. So our guest today uh, from up in Terre Haute, Indiana, that's on the west side of Indiana. It's kind of uh, maybe two hours away from Evansville. I don't know. Haven't been to Terre Haute from, from Evansville here. But um, Kevin Linke is our guest today from Rose Holman Institute of Technology. I did not know that it was an all-male school there for a while until Kevin got there uh, when he actually went to school, and then a couple of years into his undergrad uh, experience, they switched from an all-male institution to a uh, co-ed institution. So he'll tell some stories like that. He'll also talk about all the grad assistants that he has had over the years and where they have gone off to and the importance of having a grad assistant or the importance of rather being a mentor and why it's important you know, what it means to him to be a mentor. But we will start off today's episode, episode number 47 of SIDcast, with Kevin Lanky from RHIT and the Fighting Engineers, talking about how he was a play-by-play guy and how he fell into doing sports information right here on SIDcast. It was interesting. I was hired in eighth grade as a statistician for the local high school basketball games. Uh, the first person to ever hire me for a job uh, is named Mark James. He's currently the voice of IndyCar Radio, and he was the first one to ever hire me for a job. He said, we're doing these basketball games on Friday night. I need a stat guy. When the quarter's over, hand me the stats. And so I learned how to keep stats by hand, hand them over, uh, worked from there. We always went around to the various high school games in the area and covered those. And then as I got into 11th and 12th grade, we get into halftime of the game. He says, now you need to go on the air and read those stats. I went, oh, I don't know about this. Okay. So I go on the air, read the stats. Okay, that went pretty well. Then you have a Friday night where, well, our announcer can't make it, so you're going to fill in and broadcast the game. And it went from there. And I, Most of my college career, I was a um, in computer science major first, ended up an economics major here at Rose Hallman where I currently work. Um, broadcast the college games at Rose Hallman, broadcast the high school games. I jokingly said as a senior, I think I majored in broadcasting and minored in school. So that was my background that got me into sports information. And how did you fall into sport information? Um, what was your first taste with it? Uh, I mean, did you even know what a sports information director was when you were going into college? I didn't at all. Um, actually, my junior, senior year when I was working the games, um, I would come into the sports information office to get game notes. And uh-huh. uh, the SID then, a good friend of mine, Darren Bryan, said, you know, you need to um, work here in the office. You need to put together the media notes because you're the one who uses them anyway. So what do you want in your media notes? And so then I was, well, is there a career here? Is there a path here? And, you know, I never would have got the job I ended up with at Rose Holman today with the resume I had then. But in 1999, there weren't a lot of people in sports information. And so I went from a student worker to a conference SID for the then Indiana Collegiate Athletic Conference for one year. Um, I broadcast games for Indiana State that year. And then at the end of that year, I had committed to go from just being the men's SID for the league to doing both genders, both men's and women's sports. And right at that time, the Rose Holman job opened. And so they said, well, would you want to come to Rose Holman instead? And yeah, full time with benefits sounded better than working as a GA part time. So that's how I ended up at Rose Holman and in sports information. 
So what does it mean to you? And we kind of talked about it with uh, Josh Newhart in one of our past episodes up at Grace. What does it mean to you to go back to the school to work where you did your undergrad? I mean, is there anything sort of special with that? It's interesting. I had the one year in Indiana State broadcasting their games and getting to know the Division One athletes. Because you always think in this profession, I want to go Division One. That's where I want to be. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with Division One. Um, you know, there's a lot of hard work done in Division One. It's big time athletics. It's fun to be around and part of. Um, but I had that taste of it. And when Rose Holman and the uh, ICAC then called and wanted me to work with them, I said, you know, the Division Three is kind of where I came from. It's really what I enjoy. Um, it's the student athletes that are really playing for the love of the game. They're actually taking away time from their other things to do this. Um, so I really enjoy division three and my alma mater. I, I knew the athletes there. I was only 23 when I got hired here. I knew the coaches. I still knew some of the athletes. Most of the athletes were in class with me. So I had to get away from that peer relationship right. and then into the professional relationship. Um, but you know, it was the natural call and the more you get back in here and when you're around a school like Rose Holman that at that time we were in the middle of a $250 million campus-wide fundraising campaign and um, we were the U.S. News and World Report number one engineering school in the country for the first time when I started working here. We've now done that 19 years in a row. Um, we were actually an all-male school my first two years as a student, went co-ed my last two years. Um, so to see all those different transitions and to be able to come back and be part of that experience, taking a school that was very, very good and has now become great and just being a small part of that ride, that's been really fun. I want to go back to what, what you said about your undergrad and the transition from being uh, all-male to co-ed. Um, one, my first question with that, I have two questions, is why did you choose an all-male school? Because I'm, I'm sure we've had um, – um, Brandon Stewart from Ursuline, Ursuline, not Ursuline, sorry, Brandon, um, on, which is an all-female school. So, I mean, it, was there sort of a stigma with that? I mean, because we still got Wabash. Uh, it was, what did people think when you were going to go to an all-male school? I didn't really want to go to an all-male school, but Rose Holman was in my hometown, so I knew it was a great school, and they had already announced they were going co-ed two years from oh. now. So I knew it would be a two-year all-male experience and a two-year co-ed experience, and to myself, I thought this may be the best of both worlds. So you see what Rose Holman was, and then you see where it's going and what it can be, and that was obviously one of the hardest decisions to ever get all of the administration and all of the alumni behind, but once we did it, the best decision we've ever made at Rose Holman was to go co-ed. And what was that kind of reception like at first? Like you said, you had to get everybody aligned. So, I mean, from what you took away, you know, at a young age, was it perceived really well? I mean, were people, especially in Terre Haute, were they happy with that? I mean, it was it's kind of a big change to go from, you know, years of doing that to transitioning to a student body. That's That's completely different. As a sophomore, we had training sessions on, you know, when women come here, these are going to be what changes in the school, and this is the way professors need to teach differently. And then when the students came, it was just the same. It was just female students in the classroom instead. So we were prepared for all these differences. And the reality was there were only 65, I believe, women in the initial freshman class at Rose Holman. Um, and really, the rest of us were protectors. We'd look around and say, hey, why is that person going up to that apartment on a Friday? Do they know them? Are they, you know, and so we were yeah. almost the protectors um, of our first female students. And then the, by my senior year, it was a full hundred and some students, and we were up to 200 women at that point. And then it felt like more of a true community, which is what it's turned into today. But the first year, that's what I remember is everyone was protective. And, you know, if anybody we didn't know was around, we wanted to make sure they were supposed to be there. And we were just trying to make sure everybody was okay. I love that, man. Um, so... When you left Rose Holman, and like you said, computer science, two economics, uh, went to Indiana State, which is also in Terre Haute for those who don't know your Indiana geography, um, and transitioned to kind of sort of a, a sport management recreation thing. I mean, what was the, what was the allure for you? Well, I, I really went through the Rose Holman degree and got the economics degree, and I really enjoyed the broadcast at the time. And um, Darren, my boss at that time, had said, you know, you could really do this for a career. You'd be really good at this. And I said, well, okay, I'll go to grad school. Maybe I'll try to get an MBA. I don't know. I'll do something else. And the sport management program was run by one of the legends in the field, Tom Sawyer is actually his name, uh, from Springfield College. And he was one of the original founders of sport management in higher ed 
And he said, you know, you'd be good for this. Why don't you try to come to this program, which is fairly new at Indiana State at the time, and be one of our first students? And actually, I didn't finish it. Um, I was the poster child for what you don't do. I got one year through the program. Then the Rose job opened. I took that and said, I don't have time to do both. I can never do both. And then in 2009, I actually went back and finished the master's degree at Indiana State. So I'm fortunate to have an undergrad in economics from Rose and then a master's degree in uh, rec and sport management from Indiana State. But they were about 11 years apart. Yeah. So what was what did you see as the benefits to going back and, and, and finishing your degree like that? I mean, like you said, 11 years later. Well, you, you know, you can see the way the world's working now. You really do need to, if you're a bachelor's undergrad student, you need to eventually finish the master's degree if you're going to get what used to be entry-level jobs. And that goes back to something I said earlier. I never would have gotten the Rose Holman job with the resume I had then in 2010 because there's so many more master's degree students and I had just had a bachelor's degree and that's how I got the job. So today you really have to get a master's degree if you want to be in athletic administration, higher ed, whatever it might be. Um, so I knew I needed to do that. That was ultimately something that needed to be done. Uh, went back and finished it, really enjoyed it. Um, the part that was fun is when you go back to school after 10 years, you're doing it because you want to. Right. You're doing it because you're passionate about it. Um, it's because you enjoy the topics. And there were times I felt like I think I know as much about this topic as our prof. And I might have been right in some cases. Um, but that's not normally the case when you're a student. Right, right, right. So... Real quick, I'm, I'm just curious. I want to go back to your broadcasting thing because we just wrapped up an episode with uh, Jim Powers. And at the time of this, when this episode's released, kind of crazy thing about that, be a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so when you were a broadcaster and you had to deal with uh, other sports information directors, perhaps even Rose's own sports information director, um, what were some things that you looked for as a broadcaster to kind of, so that other SIDs can kind of know how to tailor their information to their broadcasters. I mean, what, what, what is the best way to feed your, you know, live streaming play by play people? The, the internet was really in its infancy. So if you wanted information, you had to go find it or you had to call someone and get it or have your SID get it for you. And I would actually put together very detailed charts, football and basketball were my two sports. And it was actually John Sherman, who's now at Indiana State, and Mark Jaynes, who I referenced earlier, that showed me how to do these charts. And I would look at a chart and it would have number, name, um, you know, hometown if it was college game, all their stat categories in different colors of ink. I had eight different ink colors that I would mark everything in so I could look down and know, are we looking at free throw percentage? Are we looking at three-point percentage? Is this a 15-point-a-game score? Where did this kid come from? And I would put it all on these very intricate hand-done charts, which I would do them by hand so that I would learn the information going in. Right. And it would take probably three hours to do the chart for a two-hour game. And that's how I learned how to do things. And so that was where you learned how to get information, what info you wanted. I came to the point where all I really needed was the combined stat PDF, a roster, and maybe a little bit of information from other coaches. Because when you broadcast a high school game, that's all you're going to get anyway. Right, yeah. And sometimes, well, like like last year for me, when the other school doesn't even have a roster at all, and they're like, I don't know who's on our basketball team. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you, you got to know, man. But um, a couple more things about your broadcasting, and we will kind of get into some fun questions later, but do you have a broadcasting horror story? Um, I actually do. This was a really good one. We were uh, the Terre Haute North basketball team was playing in one of the smaller towns around um, that was known to be pretty hostile of fans. I'm not even going to throw the town under the bus because of this story. Um, so we're playing this very emotional game, and Terre Haute North's winning the game late, and they hit a shot, and they're up five with a minute and a half to go. And I turn around, I'm like, we're off the air. Why are we off the air? And a fan is holding my power cord and says, don't get excited when road teams come in here and win. We have the power. And he's holding my power cable and took me off the air. So that was probably, without a doubt, the worst horror story I had. The other good one was I was broadcasting a college game in a small college. I won't throw this college under the bus either. And I'm broadcasting the game, and there's a moving screen, and they call an offensive foul. And I make a comment, you know, it's a good call by the official. The player wasn't set. And then, whack, I'm hit by an umbrella on my shoulder. And it was the parent of the player, I was saying, made the illegal moving screen. And the next possession, there's some kind of a play, and they turn it over. And I said, you know, I don't think that's what that player was looking for. Something general like that. Whack, I get hit again by an umbrella. And 
I finally went to the SID. I said, you got to do something because I can't broadcast the game being hit by an umbrella on the shoulder the whole time. So those are the two broadcast horror stories that come to mind. I'm very, very lucky. I'm sure other S- are, uh, broadcasters are very, very lucky in that. Never been hit by an umbrella before. I did have a kid one time. They, they were running up and down. You know how like little kids get bored at games, you know, small town. There was a kid that was running up and down uh, like through the bleachers. Caught his foot on my power cord and caught it out. But I've never had anybody, like, you know, intentionally. But um, has there ever been a game or maybe a tournament that you've always wanted to call? Uh, one of the games I always wanted to see, being an Indiana person, was the Monon Bell football game, DePaul and Wabash. And uh-huh. ever since I've been in the business, either Rose Holman's had a game that week, I had to broadcast a game that week. It's a game I've never been able to see, and I don't know when or if I'll ever be able to see it. And that was always the game. I, I had friends at both schools. I thought it would be fun. It was always nationally televised. Like, it was the big game. Um, so that was probably the one I wanted to do. You know, you've always got the the experiences of you'd love to do a Super Bowl and crazy things like that. But one of the neat things I got to do, if you're from Indiana, you know the Indiana one-class basketball tournament was a huge deal. Yeah. And the very last one-class tournament was played in what was then the Hoosier Dome, now Lucas Oil Stadium, where the Colts play. 38,000 people there to send out Indiana college basketball. And I'm calling play-by-play of the game, sitting right next to the TV broadcaster, Jerry Baker, who's a legend in Indiana. And Jerry Baker's calling this game right next to me. And that was one of the more intense, just awesome experiences I ever got to have. Um, how did you feel when the Indiana switched from that one class to multi-class? Not a fan. And most of the people that had the one class will tell you that um, it was the worst decision ever made. The finances were really different behind it. They lost about 40% of the income the next year because the crowds went down. And I said to myself, you know, every time you make one of these decisions, it always comes down to money. It always comes down to economics. They're going to change it back. They never did. And now that we're 20 years in and you see all the different experiences that small, smaller schools have had because of it, I understand why. But the purest in me remembers those days. We, the, the last year of one class, there was a consolidation in our area named White River Valley, made it all the way to the final eight. They were a great story going up against all the big schools. And we got to cover that, know those kids. Three of those kids played D1 basketball, and they almost took out Jeffersonville and Sharon Wilkerson, who went to Indiana University down the road. Um, that was a great experience to have, and that's something that you just can't explain to this generation how cool it was to see the little guy try to take down the big guy, and sometimes they were good enough to do it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Jeffersonville's in my high school conference. Um, fun fact, hate them sometimes uh, in track. But um, yeah, and my, and my coach in, in high school, he would, uh, he would sometimes wear his shirt that was just the state of Indiana. It says, I can't remember. It was like one, it had something to do with the one class thing. He was very upset and he played basketball. But how much did your kind of background in economics, when a decision like that is made in sport, do you kind of use that your, your background, your academic background to kind of, you know, clarify, justify things in your head like that? Cause you said, you know, it comes down to money. I mean, how much, how much do you think about that when, when these decisions are made? That's one of the areas I'm really passionate about is I I really like to study sports business kind of in the spare time of, you know, whenever you see decisions, what's the financial impact of it? And my actual economics term paper at Rose Holman was on the impact of a strike on baseball and what kind of an economic system Major League Baseball had. That was the year the World Series was lost in 1996 was my junior year. Mm -hmm. So that was a big topic. And there were papers written on, you know, is it a monopoly? And it went to court and there were all these business aspects of it. And that's really I became interested in sports business. So now I enjoy studying that aspect of it, of, you know, television networks, rights fees, how they impact salaries and how the NBA salaries have gone up because the money coming in has gone up. And now the question is four or five years from now, when that contract runs out, if that number goes down, is there an economic bubble about to burst there? And those are just general economic questions that I really find passionately interesting to study um, you know, you don't get as much of that at the Division three level. Our decisions are, you know, hopefully trying to help drive enrollment, help um, make your school more geographically diverse, um, ethnically diverse, gender diversity. That's what you want out of your athletic programs. But really the business aspect of it and watching it develop into what it's become here in 2017, that's an interest of mine. Uh, on campus at Rose Holman, you, you're also part of the Diversity Center. Um, did you use any of that? 
technique? I mean, what were some things that you learned or some things that you used when you were part of that diversity center? Uh, Very much so. And, and, and that was an interesting time because the campus didn't have a diversity center. And so we wanted to make that come to Rose Hallman. It was something that the campus needed. So I was part of a team that researched what other schools do. So we looked at schools that were similar to us, peer institutions. Then we looked at larger schools and found out what they did and really helped create a center for diversity that today is being run by Janice Finn, who does a phenomenal job here on campus. And they've taken it to a different level than I I ever could have, but we kind of did the baby steps to get it started and to see where it's come here at Rose Holman is another rewarding experience. Is there any uh, a topic that you, like you said, you like to study sport business and for the most part, I kind of do too. Is there any topic that you just can't get enough of? For me, it's like conference realignment. I don't know why, but it, but is there anything that you, that you like your guilty pleasure when you look up things like that? What is it? Conference realignment's a good one. Uh, I'm a big fan. People that know me know I'm a big fan of racing, NASCAR, IndyCar. Uh And I always look at how the sponsorship impact of that. So right now you have, the the short version is, you have a lot of veteran drivers going out of NASCAR and younger drivers coming in. And a lot of that is these drivers were making $8 million a year. The younger drivers are going to take much less money. That's because sponsorship isn't as much as it was. There's not as much coming in. Teams have to figure out where they're going to cut, how they're going to cut. And now drivers are moving, teams are moving, uh, manufacturers in NASCAR from Chevrolet to Ford to Toyota are moving around. And that whole aspect of the racing business is one of the things I find really interesting because I love the sport and I'm passionate about it for both NASCAR and IndyCar. Um, And just following that is how I spend a lot of my free time. And these days there's a lot of business aspects of it that people don't even think about. Right, right, cool. So um, I want to go back to something that you mentioned uh, a little bit when you were employed in the eighth grade you had to take stats by hand what what has been the changing landscape of, of technology been like uh, as you've seen throughout your 20 years at rose holman that's one of the things i'm grateful for is that i started my very first year doing stats here at rose holman i wrote out the by hand drive chart for every football game and someone had a book that kept the stats and we had someone typing on a typewriter the play-by-play that was the last year Rose Holman did the stats manually. So I went all the way from getting carbon paper all over my hands because I'm writing this copy and there's this purple ink all over to the point now that we've moved away from stat crew and our stats are actually using the Presto in-game scoring. So now I immediately update these stats live on a different format than most of the countries using that's really cutting edge to go from the hand all the way to there and see all the different processes of, you know, the internet was really born when I was doing this. Twitter was then born. Facebook was born. Instagram was born. I spent all my time the first 10 years doing printed media guides. That was all you could do for recruiting. We had a 64 page football guide, 38 page basketball guide. And now we don't even print media guides because the, we do four pagers that are really nice and colorful that recruits can see. But now you're in a landscape where you're doing more social media than you've ever done. There's not time. There's not impact. And they're not going to read them anyway. So to see the change go all the way from keeping stats by hand to using a 64-bit cutting-edge platform to do stats to have the expectations that not only are you going to keep live stats, but things are going to be up five minutes after the game's over. When I started, we'd leave a game write three paragraphs for the newspaper and I'd write it in the office tomorrow because nobody really cared. And it's just to see that whole transition has certainly been a major part of the last 20 years. I want to know what the conversations were like when you had to make choices like that. Like you said, moving away from stat crew, uh, starting social media. And I want to talk about that here in a second, but what were kind of the things that you along with other administrators, maybe, uh, and maybe within your department, uh, what were those conversations like when, when making those big monumental changes like that? Well, like everything else, you could start with money and you can say, you know, we spent X thousands of dollars on printing last year and we don't want to spend that much money on printing. We'd rather put it into the students to give them better travel experience, to get better hotels. Maybe we can do two to a room instead of four to a room if we don't print a media guide in this sport. So I would start with that aspect of it. Um, But then you just look at it in a practical term and say, do you really think your students read this? And if the answer is no, The parents love them, and I understand they're beautiful keepsakes, but if the purpose is to recruit and the recruits aren't reading them, what are we doing them for? We're doing them because we've always done it. And at Rose Holman, one of the things about an institute of technology, because we've always done it that way, is not a good answer. 
So we move along as the world moves along. And so now we went away from that. But I said, you know, now here's what I'm going to spend my time doing. We're going to use Twitter. We're going to use Facebook. We're going to use Instagram. We're going to make graphics. We're going to do these things that we haven't been doing, that we didn't have the resources to do because we didn't have the time um, to, to do this because of all these magazines and history books. And what's nice is we still do online bios of every kid. So you can still read all the stuff you used to be able to read on a media guide, but you can go to the bio, which now automatically updates because of the technology we have. As soon as I update stats, the career stats of every kid updates automatically. Their bio doesn't, but we do that at the end of the year. Um, with all the technology we have today, the web is such a better source than a printed book that's out of date the first time I print it. And the more you explain that and show it to coaches, the more they are willing to react. And we have a coaching staff here, and I'm very fortunate in this. I basically went to our coaching staff and said, this is what I think we need to do. This is why. This is how it's going to be better. And they trusted me to make that judgment. I want to know. Staff like that's huge. Yeah. I want to know um, something about social media specifically. Uh, what did you think of it when it, when it first came around? And what, and say, kind of same question, what was the conversation like that you had at starting Twitter, starting Facebook? And how did you guys kind of navigate that landscape? Some of that was done by the NCAA because there was a big push for Facebook. And, you know, everybody wanted to be on Facebook and it wasn't legal. You couldn't do it in Division Three. Then in 2009, they made it legal that you can have department pages, you can have a Facebook page. So the day that the NCAA passed their legislation, I immediately went on Facebook and made a Rose Hallman Athletics Facebook page. So we might have been the very first one in Division Three, or at least the first legal one, um, because we waited <laughs> until it was legal to do it. Um, and then it was born then. Twitter and Instagram were the other way around. I was trying to be the guy. We don't need Twitter. Twitter's not going to be helpful. Why? What is Twitter? Why would people get on Twitter? And so I was probably about six months late to the Twitter party. But once we got on Twitter, I said, you know, one of the things you have to do is, you know, as somebody that's in the early 40s, as technology evolves, you have to evolve with it. And you can't just do all the things you used to do and expect that, 10 years from now, we're going to be doing the same things we are now. You have to evolve with technology or it leaves you behind. And so eventually I said, you know, I'm going to get a personal Twitter account. I'm going to play with it. I said, well, I can learn all this racing stuff on, on Twitter. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, I can follow reporters. I said, okay, Rose Holman needs to get into this game. And so we're, we were a little bit behind on our Twitter account because I started late. Instagram was another one that Ryan Davis was the HCAC uh, Heartland Conference SID at the time. And Ryan and I both said, we are never doing Instagram. We've already got to do Twitter. We've already got to do Facebook. Why are we going to do Instagram? And I do wish Instagram had a better way to upload things from desktops. Like there's yeah. ways to do it, but it's not easy. Um, it's much easier to just email yourself and put it on a phone. But it's one of those things that now Instagram, we get many, many more likes off every photo and every graphic and everything we do in Instagram than we ever do in Facebook and Twitter. So I don't know what's next, but those are the three that we spend the vast majority of our time on right now. I want to know uh, something, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I'll start that over. I want to know something about uh, like kind of what you alluded to earlier. You guys have to get recruits. You have to get, because Rose Holman, you, you guys are kind of good at everything. So um, with it being kind of like a rigorous academic thing, I'm just curious, what's it been like trying to get recruits in, from what you've seen uh, as far as coaches and stuff and get these people to be a part of your student body with with such kind of a prestigious, like you said, number one engineering school. I mean, what, what's that been like? You can either embrace the fact that you're at a highly academic school and embrace what it is, or you can try to fight it. And we have an entire coaching staff and athletic department that embraces everything that Rose Holman's about. And so the first thing you have to do is you're looking for math, science, and engineering students. That's our curriculum. That's all we offer. That makes it tough on an SID. I don't have a communications team. I don't have anyone to help me do video broadcasts. We have to set it up ourselves. We have to figure it out ourselves. So, you know, we don't have those things that a lot of other schools have. But our bread and butter is we are math, science, and engineering. That's what we are. So we go nationwide because if you really want to be number one nationwide, like we've been for 19 years in a row from U.S. News and World Report, you have to recruit nationally. And you have to recruit diverse thoughts, locations, um, backgrounds, everything. And so we really embrace that here. And the higher academically you are, the more likely you are to qualify for academic-based financial aid. So instead of trying to find the student on the margins, 
our coaches try to recruit the highest academic kids they can because they have a better chance to get merit money because they're the best in the class. So once you figure out those things, then you try to create resources or ways through your Facebook, your Twitter, your Instagram that help make the coaches make those connections. And the way we really look at it is our students have an incredible amount of work. They basically, because we do three quarters in a year, we jam a year and a half of academic curriculum into a year. So in four years, they get six years of academic curriculum. That's how we look at it. So because of that, for them to take two hours a day of free time and play sports, they're giving up a lot. The least we can do as an institution is make it important and show that we care. And the best way we can do that is to have a great website, to put names and graphics on social media, to really be passionate advocators for the things our students do for fun. And if we do that and give them what I call a Division I sports information operation, that's what we try to do. If we can do that, then it helps show that the time they're spending is valued. And that's what we really look like we try to do here. As far as resources go, I mean, you've, you've had some great grad assistants uh, over the past couple of years. I mean, what, how important is that, especially when, you have, when they go out? And like you said, you kind of take the mentality of you got to give your student-athletes a Division I sports information office. I mean, what's it been like to have, one, recruit good grad assistants, and then, two, kind of train them to move on in their, in their professional career? If you're a one-man shop and you get a resource like a graduate assistant, you have to get it right because there's going to be a lot of work that you're not going to be able to do or you're not going to want to do, and you're going to need to trust the other person um, to do a lot of that work. Our graduate assistant full position came in 2013, and I was able to hire someone at that time that – was a five-year veteran reporter that did her own photography, was her own writer, had been a sports editor in a newspaper, and looked at the landscape and said, this industry's dying, sports information's living, I'm going back to school and getting a master's degree. And I was so fortunate there because this person I'm talking about is about Nicole Watkins, who's now at the University of Chicago and does a phenomenal job there, um, went to Purdue Northwest from here and then Chicago now. And Nicole was absolutely phenomenal and was a game changer for our department. And when the first GA you hire can come in and do things that you as a boss can't do, because I didn't understand how it all worked, you figure out, you know what, you really have to rely on these people. So when Nicole came in, I wrote 98 to 99% of the content on our website. And the first year that changed. I said, you write as well as I do. We're doing this 50-50. And that's how I've always tried to do it is divvy up the sports, Give a GA their sport that's their sport that I go out to the game. I might do PA for you, but it's your sport. You tell me what to do. Um, you're the one running the game. You're the one making sure the video goes on. You're the one statting the game. You send it to the SID when the game's over. You tell me what you need me to do with that sport. And that's how I've always tried to do it, to give the experiences that they have. And we've been very lucky. We've hired great people. Um, you know, Nicole Watkins, our first one's now in Chicago. Uh, Mitch Blankespoor was our second GA. He's at Earlham. Um, Sarah Landis was our third GA. She's at the Heartland Collegiate Athletic Conference. Dylan Bender's the first one I've had for two years. Dylan does an awesome job, um, and he's going to be a two-year guy. And when the spring rolls around, SIDs hire Dylan Bender because he's going to do a great job and he'll be ready to go. But do me a favor, don't hire him until at least March. <laughs> That's fair. I'm, I'm sure people might might honor that. Maybe, maybe not. If he's as good as you say he is, but um. I'm curious about, hang on, I literally just lost my question here. I can't believe I just did that. Um, How was it like, were you kind of apprehensive to begin with when you first got a GA to kind of divvy up the sports like that? I mean, how, how welcoming were you to kind of let the GA or let the intern, I mean, if you're at another institution, but for those that can't really let go of the sports that they do or maybe don't quite trust the GA or the assistant enough to do that. I mean, what would you suggest that those people have to do in order to kind of give their person, you know, the experience they need? This is going to start like it sounds like it's an addiction, but when you're a one-man shop, you know, you have to do everything, right? So you don't want to give it any of it up, and you've always been that person. That's what you do. Really, in a one-person shop, you're addicted to the work it takes to get it done, so you don't want to give it up. And so I said, I know we needed help. There was one, uh, we had a run in basketball where we went 24-4, and had an NCAA tournament home game, 
um, hosted the conference tournament. And because I was a one-man shop, I worked 21 straight days of 18 hours or more. And I said, you know what? I physically can't do this anymore. And no one can. And I can't do what we're doing now and putting out this great product without help. So the first thing is you've got to admit you need help. That's where the addiction comes in. Um, you know, you've got to admit you need help in your sports information office to make it work. And so I did that. And so I said, okay, I want to hire someone. And uh, Nicole and I have talked about this a lot. We did the phone interview and I said, you know, have you been on our website to see what we do for media guides? And I said, you know, you can make it your own or you could blow it up. And her answer was, oh, I would totally blow it up. And she thought, I just lost the job because I told him he doesn't know what he's doing. And my actual thought was, this is exactly the person I need to hire because I need someone to tell me what I haven't been doing, what I can do to get better. And so she thought she lost the job on it. She actually got the job on it. And, um, and once you get someone really good who you understand what they can do and you can trust them and the coaches build a good relationship with them, you find you need to give sports to them to give them a great experience, but you need to do it for yourself too, because you really can't do everything that a second person can. And what's it been like to, and we've had, we've had this trend here. Uh, that's literally how I've gotten the job here. Uh, GA being there for maybe one year. I mean, is that frustrating? Uh, what's it like on the other end? That's been hard. Uh, you know, we've had four straight GAs until Dylan that all got a job after one year. And I always told our GAs, if you can get a full-time job, and go run your own office and get a full-time job with benefits, you need to go. And that was exactly how I felt. And so, uh, you know, they sign a two-year contract, but really it's a contract that says this is a two-year contract if something better doesn't come along. And when a full-time job, and in every one of those cases, they went to run their own office. And if you can leave a GA job and go run your own office, I'm doing you a disservice saying you've got to stay for another year. No, you need to go run your own office. And so – it's hard, but I said, you know what, that means we're hiring the right people, and we've done it right, and we're fortunate in Dylan's case, uh, I think he comes from a family that said, you're going to commit to two years, you're doing two years, and so that's actually been really good, and so we're having a great start to the second year here, but it is difficult when you're replacing people, but if you're replacing them because they're getting full-time jobs and running their own office, then that means you hired the right person, and you've got a great system in place. Perfect, perfect. Um one more question I have before I promise we'll move on to kind of some fun questions as my voice cracks right there and I'm 22. Um, and it's kind of a sad one. I, I want you to kind of go into a little bit of detail about how what was happening behind the scenes as, as you got the job at uh, Rose Holman. Yeah, Rose Holman, um, I was the um, voice of Indiana State Athletics for that year, and I had agreed to accept the position of HC or the Indiana Collegiate Athletic Conference men's and women's SID. And I thought, Going into the year, this is going to be great. My predecessor here was a gentleman named Darren Bryan, very beloved on this campus, beloved in the field. He was at Eastern Illinois before he came to Rose Holman for four years. Um, and Darren announced that he was going to leave and join the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, work in their organization, move to Illinois, get married. He had an infant daughter that was three months old at the time and said, you know, I'm going to um, I'm going to go ahead and do that because I want to get off the road. I don't want to be on this conferences on the road all the time. I want to spend time with the family. So um, the job opened up and I had applied and my interview scheduled for two days from this particular day. And uh, Darren's driving into work. He's got about two weeks left at Rose Holman. And it's like a blinding sun. He goes out to pass a car on the interstate and a car driven by an 80 year old woman had gone the wrong side up a ramp and hit him head on. And, and he was killed instantly, unfortunately. And so my mentor, someone that I really, knew and was beloved in this profession and on this campus um, passed away in that realm. And that was the, one of the hardest things I ever went through because then I'm sitting there going, okay, well, you know, first of all, I've lost one of my best friends, uh, a mentor, someone that meant a lot to me that got me to the point where I was interviewing for this job in two days. And, you know, then we said, well, what do, you know, after everything went, you know, we went through all the uh, immediate things that you need to do. You sit back and you go, okay, the job's open. And I said, should I even do this job? Like, I don't know if I should be the one to fill these shoes. I'm 23. I don't really know what I'm doing at the time. Um, <laughs> and, you know, both the coaching staff here and, and the people that I've worked with at Rose said, no, you're exactly the person we want because you knew Darren, you knew the way he carried things. 
And even to this day, as I take a look at it in my office, there's a picture of me as a student and Darren interviewing me at halftime of the game. And I always say he's as part, much a part of this office in the 20 years I've been here since as anything else. And so that was a really sad time. Um, and he's now inducted in our Hall of Fame. The football press box is named for Darren here at Rose Hallman. And um, I just try to do the best I can to emulate all the wonderful things that he stood for. Real quick, how important is it to have someone like that kind of in your professional and personal life? It's hugely important. And Bill Wagner at DePaul will know that my first two years when, um, you know, I would turn into situations I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to call. Well, I knew Bill. Um, so I would call Bill and, just, and maybe twice a week I'm asking him questions. How do I handle the Indianapolis media when they're coming to a basketball game? Because we're ranked ninth in the country. and Our teams were really, really good my first year. And I just wanted to get through the day. I didn't know how to handle it. And then three or four years later, we weren't as good. But I had experience. I said, I wish we could be that good now because I would handle it differently. I know how to do it now. Uh, and then eventually we've come to a point now where we're one of the dominant schools in the Heartland Conference. And, you know, it's less work when you're good. But it's less fun when you're, I mean, it's less work when you're bad. It's more work when you're good, but it's also more fun when you're good. And I've always said, if you root for your team to lose because it's going to cause you less work, that's the time you need to get out of the profession. So, uh, I mean, I'm our number one fan in terms of wanting to see us win, but I'm also someone that we run a professional experience when you come here. And, you know, I want us to win. And, yeah, I'm our fan. But when you come here, we're going to run a professional experience for you. I want to transition part of the interview to where I like to ask some fun questions. Uh, to start off, for you, Kevin, uh, favorite memory in your professional tenure? Favorite memory of a professional tenure? Um, probably the first time that we made a deep NCAA tournament run. This would be the 2014 baseball season. We had a team that had lost six games in a row coming into the conference tournament. We were the last seed in the tournament. And we're going to the tournament. The coach even told me we're going to be two and out. This isn't even going to be a good weekend of baseball. It's going to be rough. We win the conference tournament. So now we're in the NCAA tournament. We've got the five seed. DePaul that year, our school that's 30 minutes down the road, is the six seed. They've got a losing record. We barely have a winning record. And we're going to a tournament at Augustana. And I said, well, you know, it's going to be two days in Augustana and we're done. My grad assistant had tickets to a game in Wrigley Field that weekend. I said, just plan to go. Come up with me. Shoot a day or two. We're going to lose anyway. It's going to be fine. And then we go. We start winning. You know, we win one game, or we lose the first game. Um, so now we're in the loser's bracket. With The second day, we're playing the number one team in the country. I said, well, we're not going to beat the number one team in the country. We're barely 500. <laughs> and the game's in a rainstorm and everything else, and our closer pitch is great. We win in 12 innings, and now we're still alive in the tournament. I said, okay, well, we don't have any pitching left. So we're going home. It rains for two days. So now the tournament backs up two days. Now we're throwing our best pitchers again. And all of a sudden we make a run and we're one game away from the World Series. And I think, man, this would be cool. We've been here all this time. Rose Holman's had all these sports. We've never gone to the World Series. Didn't end up winning the game. But that whole run of going from a team that we thought couldn't even get through a conference tournament to one step from the World Series, as unexpected as it was, that was my most fun run. And we just talked about kind of your favorite memory. I know we mentioned a little bit earlier your broadcasting horror story, and we we talked about Darren. But I, I'm curious, what is your uh, horror story and your professional tenure? The the worst. I'll tell you the worst I ever felt after a game. And this is a good answer for this one. Rose Holman was in the NCAA tournament playing at Washington University in men's basketball, and Rose Holman is eight points ahead with 22 seconds left in the game. And I'm thinking, we're going to the second round. We're going to pull this upset. It's going to be great. And WashU has the ball. They hit a three. They cut it to five. There's a turnover. They hit another three. They cut it to two. We throw it in the corner. Our guard's trapped. He throws it away. They hit another three. I look up. We're down by one with one <laughs> second left. How'd that happen? We were eight points up with 22 seconds to go. Now we're down by one, and we end up losing the game. And that was the most crushing loss I've ever been around for our coach, Jim Shaw, who's now passed away, was here 20 years, did a phenomenal job. He said that was the game he could never get over. And that was the game as a broadcaster I could never get over. Yeah. So we're through that game. I come back into town the next night. It's Indiana High School basketball. It's the sectional. The game is north and south at Holman Center. 8,000 people at the game. It's a great environment. And all I can think of is I don't want to go to this game. 
I'm heartbroken from last <laughs> night. I don't even want to be around basketball. Like at this moment, in this moment, I hate basketball. You know, I didn't even want to go. And you get into the arena and you get eight thousand people around, and it's a great game, and you're fine again. Right, but yeah. That was the most gutted I think I ever felt after a game. Uh, when you look around in, in your conference, or maybe even the country uh, division, whatever, what have you, uh, and you look around and you say that is a good SID. What are some some things that they do or some characteristics that they have that make you say that? The best SIDs, first of all, and most of all, are personable with people. You have to be a personable, reachable person, someone that people aren't afraid to come to for help, um, someone that just has that personality that's really fun. I don't know that I've got the most fun personality. I take it very seriously. I try to be a mentor for the younger SIDs in our conference. If they ever have questions, I tell them, call me. Please don't suffer. Um, I would rather help you help yourself. Um, and if it costs me a little bit of time, it's okay. Um, you know, they're also very competent in what they do. They take it very seriously. I always tell our work-study students, understand that this is sports and it's fun. But also understand we're representing Rose Holman Institute of Technology. And we need to get these stats right. That's what our job is. We need to be accurate. We need to be good. We need to try hard. We need to set up a positive professional environment. And that's the way we're going to conduct ourselves here at Rose. And and luckily, we get kids that are used to that, I think, and mm-hmm. embrace that and want to do that. And part of that is I think I try to show by example. And then by the time they become juniors and seniors, they take as much pride in it as we do. Um, and, and I think the SIDs that really do that, that you can see care about their students, want to see them do well. Um, and take it seriously like it needs to be, but can also let it go and realize it's a game when it needs to be, that's the keys to being a good SID. And what's one piece of advice you'd give to a student going into this profession? Um, Several pieces of advice. You're not going to get rich doing this, but you're going to have a good time with it. And, um, you know, it's a lot of work to be an SID. And, you know, I, I jokingly say you work eight to five, and then you work nights and weekends. So you have to embrace the hours that we work. But on the other hand, I never feel like I've really worked. This is fun. It's what we do. We get to watch games. We get to meet great people. We get to follow great coaches. We get to make graphics that are fun that people get excited about. Like at the end of the day, this isn't work. It's fun. So if you go into it with the mentality that, yes, you know it's going to be a lot of work, but you want to be around this, you want to make your office great. Whatever your situation is, make it better showcase why your athletic department and why your school is great. And if you're in a school that doesn't have a lot of resources and doesn't have a lot and it's the place that gets you to your next job, that's okay. Elevate it. Make it better so that when the next SID comes in, the school's better, the department's better, and then you just maybe moved up in the food chain, if you will. Um, But if you can leave something better, then that's good for everybody involved. So take what you have and embrace it. be very careful and, you know, in, in picking the job that you want because one of the things you don't want to do is just go from one school one year to the next school to the next school. Understand that when you take a job, especially a head job, you're probably making a three- to five-year commitment. And if you make a three- to five-year commitment and leave that place better, you're going to be able to name your next job, and that school is going to be better off for it. What's one thing in this profession you're interested in to learn more about? Um, I think most of the people that are like me and have been around for a while, you always want to learn more about graphic design and video because that's not necessarily the thing that that comes as natural. And now there's a lot of different companies out there that can really help you with that. We've used a couple of those um, that really do a nice job that have upped our graphics and made our graphic displays look a lot better. And they've done it really with really good templates and a variety of templates. There's a lot of technology out there that you can use, but I'm one of those that, you know, as I said, you never know where it's going. We have to figure out what's next and we have to be on that cutting edge. So um, that's always my thing is to try to figure out what's next and not be behind the curve, at least be on the curve, if not ahead of it. Uh, Work-life balance. What do you do to have fun? Uh, I don't know how much work-life balance there actually is, but Uh, My wife and I really enjoy the time that we do get. And one of the things as I've gotten older and done this a little bit more is figured out you have vacation time. It's part of your contract. You need to use it. Now, it's really hard to use it during the school year. I understand that. 
But in the month of June, I'm pretty hard to find, and that's okay. Um, I always have a computer with me because you never know when the stories are going to break, so you need to do things. But you need to take that time, get away, do the things you're passionate about. Uh, you know, Like I said, I'm a racing fan. I'm a sports fan in general. Um, we like to travel. We've gone to many different, almost almost every state probably, a bunch of different ballparks. And sometimes you leave the sports aside and we just have a good family vacation. And, um, you know, that's what you really want to do is find the things you're passionate about in life and spend some time doing them. And there's a reason you have vacation time. Most bosses in this business, most athletic directors, and I'm lucky mine's exactly this way too, understand how much work you put in and tell you, you need to come in a little bit late tomorrow. You need to get away for a day. Go golf this afternoon on Friday afternoon when we don't have any home events because they appreciate and understand how much you work. I just froze up there for a second. Next time someone's in Terre Haute, and yes, there's a reason to be in Terre Haute, um, what is your restaurant or bar recommendation? One, there's always a reason to be in Terre Haute. It's the crossroads of America. So it's where Chicago... And when you're going north-south and then when you're going east-west from coast to coast, the two major arteries actually meet in Terre Haute. So it, there's actually a sign downtown Terre Haute that says Crossroads of America that sits right next to Indiana State's Holman Center. But some of my favorites, Seventh and Elm, which is right near Indiana State, um, there's a great place called Moggers that does its own brew and its own steaks. It's really, really good. Um, you've got your chains, but the, the two best places in town, if you want a really upscale meal, Jay Ford's Black Angus and Stables, two tremendous steakhouses that do things the right way, and they're really a good shot of a big city in a smaller city. They don't cost what they do in a big city either. <laughs> that helps out a lot. So um, if anybody wanted to follow up with you or maybe want to get in touch with you after this episode, what would be the best way to do it? Uh, always just drop me an email. Uh, all of our contact information is on the Rose Holman Athletic website, or my email is lanky at rose-holman.edu. I'm also on Twitter, just at Kevin Lanky, uh, L-A-N-K-E. So anyone that hears this, wants to reach out, please feel free to do so. Perfect, perfect. Kevin, thank you very, very much for coming on. I know there's a ton more stuff that we could have possibly talked about, but we're, we're running out of time here, so we, we got I got to wrap this up. Well, I appreciate it, and you have a great day. Hey, thank you. So uh, thank you, everyone, for downloading, subscribing. Uh, rating and reviewing this podcast pretty important, and I know that I've kind of like hammered that home as we're nearing episode. I think this is a 46, you and me. This is what this episode number is. So if you haven't already done that, I highly encourage you to do it. I'm proud that we do have the average five-star rating on iTunes. Um, I'm looking to get our podcast on other platforms. I know that we kind of moved away from SoundCloud, but we're currently uh, exploring some things, and um, again, we're, we're wrapping up our campaign, seven episodes in seven days, all from the Hoosier State. And Kevin, you're a great, great one. And I, and I, as we were talking, I was like, man, I should have had you on, you know, first or second episode. But, you know, you, you take what you can get. So, um, and if you guys haven't well, already. bring down the Hoosier State. So right, yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> um, and by the way, if you guys haven't already, we are on Fitter. Fitter. Twitter and Facebook at backslash sports infocast because SID cast is already taken. And as always, you can email me anytime sportsinfocast at gmail.com. So tomorrow, you guys, be sure to look out for the uh, two o'clock, um, you know, hangman thing. And then be sure to put your guests in for a free SID cast t shirt. And we hope to catch you all tomorrow.